This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. It's so good to be with you. A few weeks ago, we started a series called Lift Up Your Eyes. And today, this series, we've looked exclusively at one chapter of the Bible, Psalm 121. And so we're going to do the same thing we've done every week. I want to, would you, would you just all stand? We're going to stand and read the Word of God together. I want you to read aloud as, as I read. You, if you don't feel comfortable, I'm going to read it at a pace where you can read with me. Just read it to yourself. We're going to reflect on Psalm 121, beginning in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we ask that as we pause... Some of us come in in really difficult situations. There's been stuff going on in our families, going on with our kids, going on in our finances, and it's been tough. God, help us to leave all that stress and worry at the door and right now in this moment to give you the full attention of our hearts. God, as we do that, allow this moment to be a moment where you speak to us where you encourage us, you convict us, you challenge us, and ultimately you change us even more into the image of your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever gotten lost? I remember as a kid shopping with my mom and being in the middle of a big department store and there's a round turnstile of clothes hiding in the middle of it, thinking I was going to scare my mom. And my mom didn't notice that I was gone. She wanders away, and I pop out. I have no idea where I am, no idea where my mom was, scared, lost. You ever gotten lost driving a car? We don't do that much anymore, do we? That GPS in the car now, you know, just plug in where you're going. It's an amazing invention, but for those of you who are under 25, there was a time when you were going somewhere that you literally had to be able to read a piece of paper, and this is what it had on it, no joke, a picture of the earth. And it showed, here's this town, and this, and it showed you where the roads were. It was called a map. You had to follow that map to figure out where you were going. My very first job 
in ministry. I was a 19-year-old that got hired at, at really an amazing church in South Carolina to be their student ministry intern. I'd had one year of college under my belt. And in my 19 year, the, I'd, I'd never done a lot of the stuff. I'd never preached, I'd never led worship. And there was a lot of firsts for me that summer. They gave me a special first. They looked at me and said, Kevin, I think it would be a great idea for you to take our junior high kids to camp. Okay, what's that mean? Well, we're going to give you about 12 kids and a 15-passenger van. Nobody else is going with you, but you got to find your way to the upstate of South Carolina and get them to camp and get them home safe. So it's going to say this for a 19-year-old who had never driven a 15-passenger van ever. It was a daunting task. We didn't have a GPS. I'm kind of in this generation that's wedged between our present technological age and an ancient history where we didn't even have cell phones. Can you believe it? And all they handed me is a 19-year-old intern with 12 kids in this rickety old 15-passenger van was a set of MapQuest directions. Y'all remember how bad MapQuest directions were? Get on this road, go 17.4 miles. You're like watching that odometer. Like, you know, you just don't want to miss the turn. I saw my way, literally blew a tire out on the interstate. I'd never changed a tire in my life. But I got the kids there. There were moments, though, that I felt lost. Maybe you felt that way in your life before. See, the thing about movement, movement without a guide ends up lost might have been you as a kid might even be where you are today and there's a principle in there I want you to see this if you're taking notes it's number one life is defined by movement life is defined by movement growing going adapting changing Life is defined by movement. What do you call something, biologically speaking, that is not going, growing, adapting, or changing? You call it dead. That's what you call it. Something that's supposed to be alive that is not going, moving, growing, adapting, or changing is dead. Because life naturally creates movement. You've experienced this throughout your life. When you came out of the womb, those little legs and those little arms were just flailing around the whole time. You couldn't even control them. You were moving. This is why as parents, we have to swallow our kids so they don't disturb themselves. Then you were crawling, standing, and we have a little one. He's five, about to turn six. He doesn't even walk in. He just runs everywhere, you know? You know, we can talk because we have the capacity to move air. And it moves through vocal cords and creates and crafts sounds that we interpret when that movement hits our eardrum. We interpret it as a word or a sentence or a phrase. Life creates Movement. So think about that for yourself. Where has life taken you so far? Because if you still have breath in your lungs, 
you're not done? Where has it taken you so far? Maybe it's been to some good places. Maybe it was a high school graduation and you remember that day when all that work, you finally walked across the stage and got that diploma. Maybe you were like me and you were just, I'm so thankful that I could get this with my 2.0 GPA. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing. Graduating from college. Grew up a lot between that and that graduated from college with a 3.94. Way different than my high school experience. Maybe it's marriage. And you remember your wedding day. You remember the promises that were made. Those kids. For some of us, when we remember the movement of our lives, we can go back and remember the birth of our kids. We can remember being there. Maybe it's a career for you. You remember the first time you got that job and then when you got the promotion and you got to go to that new organization. It's been some good places. But for every person in here, there's also been some broken places. Maybe your life took you to a place called addiction where you never thought that that thing would control your life but it did before long a substance was calling the shots maybe for you life took you to a place where that family you remember when the promises were made but that family was broken and shattered All the things that you'd hoped for, all the things that you dreamed it could be were ripped out of your hands. Maybe for you, it was that job that you loved that you lost. Maybe that was because the company downsized or maybe even you made a mistake. For some of us, the negative places that the movement of our life has taken us is just in here. It's been seasons of depression. Not caused by anything other than a sickness that we're walking through and learning how to cope with and treat. I want to say this, because in a room this size, I need y'all to hear me. There, there's not a sin in being sick. Okay? We get to this time of the year. Every person in here knows my nose starts running. I'm going to take me a Claritin. Okay? Why? We don't have any stigma around taking a Claritin. Why? Because my body is reacting to the environment. I'm not well. I need to take that. That'll help me be well. There is nothing wrong with knowing that mentally, where you are with your mental health, you need to seek care and follow the advice of a doctor. It's not a sin to be sick. It's a sin to do nothing about it. Okay? And if that's where you are, please, please hear me. Get help. But for some of us, that's the brokenness that we walk through. It's been in here. I I feel so deeply right now that somebody needs to hear what I'm about to say. Number two, where you've been doesn't have to define where you're going. Some of us have been in some broken places. There's been some stuff that happened to us that we didn't deserve. We didn't ask for it. We've suffered some abuse. We've suffered neglect. 
We've been through real traumatic things. I need you to hear that. Where you've been doesn't have to define where you're going. You might have come through some broken stuff. You might have been through some difficult and challenging things in your past. If you pay attention, I'll never label it bad. It was difficult, painful. It's only bad if you let it be bad. Why? Because the promise of God is that God will turn all things to good. He will work it to become something that's good for you. See, the thing is, is that when you look at this room, what you might not understand is every person in this room has a common history. There are, there's a place that every person in our past has walked through. So when we come and we sit down in redemptive community, we all have a past that's in common, and that past is sin. It's sin. Every person in here has a history of sin. What is that? Let me explain. Let me give you a definition of sin that we'll use today. It's when God wants something for you, sin is settling for something else. When God wants something for you, when God who designed your life, made you, put you into this moment in time, when God wants something for you, but you say, I don't want that, I choose something else. That is sin. Let me give you a few examples. Every person who's a parent in here knows, I don't want my kids to be disrespectful. All right? I don't want that. We don't tolerate disrespect. But some of us don't understand the why. Some of us think it's because, but don't you know how much I do for you? And that's, an, that's a logical reason to respect and honor your efforts. But do you know that God has a desire for your kids and how they relate to you? It's communicated in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Respect is given or respect is earned, honor is given, okay? Which means God never says honor them because they're good. How many of y'all are thankful that our kids don't have to honor us just because we're good, all right? Even in our brokenness, even in our weakness. So we don't want to put up with disrespect, not because it's a bad idea, but because it's sin. God's desire is that they honor. It's sinful to be disrespectful. Think about marriage. This culture is going to coach you on marriage. And what it's going to coach you, it's going to say, if you want a good marriage, you have your money, your time, your identity, and your way. And somehow your spouse has the same things and y'all figure out how to make it work together. That is broken and busted. That level of independence. It's not just a bad idea. It's sinful. Ephesians 5 says that our lives, the two lives should become one. My identity, my time, my money, all of it melds into one. Now it's, this, it's no longer me, it's us. So independence within a marriage is not just a bad idea. It's sinful. Think about money. 
The world is going to teach you when it comes to money that the money that you have in your life is for you to accomplish your goals, your dreams, your desires. You want to know what that is? It's selfishness. That means the resources that I have at my disposal are there for my good. You want to know what the Bible teaches? That the resources that I have in my hands were given to me by God for God's purposes. So selfishness when it comes to money or resources is not just a bad idea, it's sinful. Whenever there's something in our life that God has overtly said, I want you to do that and be that way, and we say, no, I'm going to do it my own way, what we're doing is we're choosing sin. And God does not want you to stay trapped in sin. He literally paid the price for your freedom. And the Bible would teach us in the the book of Galatians that the, the whole reason Jesus came to die was to bring freedom to you. See, your might your your past might be littered with sin, but with Jesus, the future will be different. Now notice I didn't say might be, could be. I said it will be different. You you might have a past where there's so much movement in your life that went through places of sin. Please hear me out. When you've surrendered your life to Jesus, the future will be different. Galatians 6, I love this passage. Out of the message paraphrase from Eugene Peterson, what a person plants, he will harvest. Can I just full stop there for a second? This is one of the reasons as parents that we want to teach our kids to honor authority. Because I do not want them planting seeds of dishonor. I believe that our kids, if we're raising them right, they are called to grow up and become leaders. And you want to know what I want for my kids? For my kids to lead people who honor them well. You want to know how you get there? You plant seeds of honor. What a person plants, he will harvest. Look at what it says after this. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. What's he saying? Listen, you've been disobedient. You've rejected God. You've said no, God. It's been sin. And you've planted sin. And you've planted sin. And you've planted sin. And all you're going to grow is weeds. That's it. But the one who plants in response to God. In other words, God says it, I do it. Letting God's spirit do the growth work in him. Harvests a crop of real life eternal life. Now that term eternal life, many of us have sat in church where the pastor said, if you'll give your life to Jesus, one day when you die, you get to go to heaven and you get to experience eternal life. Y'all listen to me. That's such a bad presentation of this. Heaven is real, but eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts right now. And it is so real that when I die, all that changes is my address. I'm with Jesus now. I'll be with Jesus then. 
God provides for me now. God will provide for me then. I have meaning and community and purpose, but I'll have the same things then. The only thing that changes when I've stepped into eternal life and I die is my address. It's where I'm going. I want you to think about that question for yourself today. Where are you going? Where's the movement of your life headed? The trajectory of your life. If you envision the decisions you've been making, the way you've been living, if you walk it forward and walk it out, where are you going? Think about it for yourself. Is life gaining momentum? You're like, man, I've been working on this for a long time. I finally feel like things are coming together. God gave me a vision and I see it happening and coming to fruition. Or do you feel like you've been in a season of coasting? Where you haven't been putting in a lot of work? I was just so tired. I needed a break. But you feel, as you coast, the loss of momentum. The loss of that wind behind your sails. Maybe you're here today and when you think about where am I going, It's not good. It's not good. You know that in your life, things are not headed in a good direction. Now, you listen to me. Your direction will be determined by what you're following. The movement in your life is going to be inhibited and guided by the person or the idea that you are following and we are all following somebody or something. You might be the free thinker in here that's saying, I would never follow anybody. But you just stood up and sat down when I asked you to. For some of us, We've gotten into some bad places and it was our friends. Get around them and they're doing that and we just can't help but do it. And we get around them and we look at it and we look back and we go, I, I would never have went to that place if it hadn't have been for those people. And sometimes the best stories of our life start with, I had these friends, but sometimes the worst stories of our life start with, I had these friends. And you've got friends who are giving you advice on marriage and how to navigate relationships and how to do money. And the truth is, is that their marriage is busted, their relationships aren't healthy, and they aren't winning with money. And yet, here we are taking their advice. For some of you, you got into difficult situations in your life because you didn't know how to navigate the tension of honoring your parents and somehow you know you don't want their kind of marriage, but you keep taking their advice. Please listen to this. We can honor everyone and be selective in whom we take advice from. 
There are people in your life, you don't want their marriage, don't take marriage advice from them. I don't want their friendships, I'm not taking friendship advice from you. You are broke and busted and in debt, I don't need financial advice from you. It doesn't mean we have to be disrespectful. I can look at you, I can listen, I can nod my head, but it doesn't mean that I have to go out and listen to you. See, the question of where you're going is deeply connected to who you're following. When you think about the course of your life, where you're going in the future is deeply connected to who you're following. It's so apparent when we look at the life of Jesus. How did he call out his followers? Matthew chapter 4, look at this. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and they left their nets they were fishermen they left behind their identity they left behind their livelihood they left behind what they'd been pursuing and said I've got a new call on my life I'm going to go follow Jesus where you're going in life is deeply connected to who you're following so I want to go back and look at the last two verses of this psalm. I'm going to give you some commentary as we go through it, and I'm going to make a few observations. Verse 7, Psalm 121, verse 7, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. That phrase, keep, appears throughout this psalm. Over and over and over again. I think it's seven times that the original word in the, in the text is used throughout that psalm. And I think it's a simple reminder for some of us that we need to know that God not only starts things in our life, God also sustains them. God didn't just start my marriage. God is the one who keeps my marriage. God didn't just start me as a parent by giving me some kids. God is the one who keeps my kids. God didn't just start that business. He's the one who's responsible for keeping that business. God is the one who keeps and in that, in the keeping and in the loss, we get to trust Him. But He will watch over you. That idea throughout the Old Testament is so permanent that God is looking at you, taking care of you. He doesn't need a break. He doesn't need to sleep. That's what the earlier psalm says. He will neither slumber nor sleep. And then verse 8, the Lord will watch over, look at this, He will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Do you notice that this psalm assumes that there will be movement to your life? That your life is going to look like coming and going. I'm moving in and I'm moving out. There's going to be movement, direction, call. God's going to bring me to a place, but God's not going to bring me there to leave me. God's going to bring me to a place to then bring me to a place to bring me to. And when I'm coming or when I'm going, God is looking over me and watching. He's protecting, not just now, not just in this season, 
but forevermore. Let me make a few observations as we wrap this up. Number one, I want you to see this. God does not need your help. God does not need your help. There are sometimes we belittle the person of God because of the way we think about him. We think about, well, God, you can only do that if I pray the right prayer or if I'm there. And sometimes even in our past, we say, well, that happened because I didn't do that and I wasn't the right. No, listen to me. God does not need your help. Do you notice what the text said? It did not say the Lord plus you will keep you from all harm. It didn't say the Lord plus your right prayers, the Lord plus your attention and your control, the Lord plus, and this is a thing, I mean, the Lord plus your burning of incense and carrying of crystals. It didn't say any of that. It just said the Lord will keep you from harm. The Lord will. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your help to keep your life together if you're living in obedience to Him. You don't have to tell Him what He's supposed to do. The Lord doesn't need your help keeping your kids on the right path. He needs you to be obedient with your kids, but He doesn't need your help. The Lord doesn't need your help keeping your husband in line. The Lord needs you to be obedient. The Lord needs you to be responsive to Him, but the Lord doesn't need your help. The Lord doesn't need your help telling Him what you're your neighbors ought to do or what your friends ought to do or what this country ought to do the lord doesn't need your help listen to this god's got this god's got this well what is it you're talking about Kevin? i don't care what are you facing are you facing a trial in your marriage are you facing a difficult season at work Are you facing some stuff in your own soul? God's got this. And you might be asking, well, if God's got it, why am I going through so much difficulty and trial and pain? I keep doing everything. I'm just trying to figure out a way to get out of this. Can I help you with how to get out of a difficult season? Y'all want to see this? This is super helpful. You go through a difficult, trying season. What's happening? Hebrews 12 shows us this. The Lord disciplines those He loves. The Lord disciplines those He loves. You know, Hebrews 12 says that no discipline is pleasant. Instead, it's painful. But that pain produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. What happens? God disciplines us. When we go through difficult, trying times, what's God doing? God's disciplining us. There's a moment in 1 Samuel where King Saul was supposed to wait. They'd won a big battle, and King Saul was supposed to wait on the prophet Samuel to come to him. And instead of waiting, he gets all, you know, not very patient. Anybody in here not patient? like one person up here in the very front that's honest the rest of y'all aren't patient okay I'm just going to tell you that most of us are not patient we we are microwave people give it to me in six seconds that's what I want right Saul was not patient and so he went ahead and he performed Samuel's priestly duties 
He offered the sacrifices to God. Samuel shows up and he's very upset. And he says this in 1 Samuel 15, 22. He says, what, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Now for us, we've got to understand that sometimes we get in the middle of a difficult situation and we keep saying, but God, I'm doing this and God, I'm doing this and God, I'm trying this and look at this good thing I did. Look at this good thing I did. Look at this good thing I did. And God's looking at you and going, yeah, but have you listened to me? That's what Samuel's saying. That's what he's saying here. I mean, what is more pleasing to God? Your, your sacrifices that you weren't supposed to do? Or are you actually listening and obeying? And he answers this question in the next verse. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Why do we go through difficult seasons? It's discipline. Why? Because God wants us to be obedient. God will discipline you to get you into obedience. If you're in a prolonged season that's difficult, what you need to do is get on your face before God and say, God, what am I not learning? What is the lesson that apparently I'm struggling to learn from you because God, I want to learn it. I don't want to waste this pain. There's a harvest on the other side of righteousness and peace. But I want you to see this. God doesn't need our help. But number two, God expects us to respond to him with obedience. There is no negotiating your relationship with God. If you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the expectation is obedience. Nobody in here has the authority to cut their own deal as if you have the power to save yourself. God expects obedience. And some of us are like, you know what, God, I'll, I'll do that later. Listen, delayed obedience is disobedience. But God, look, I did half of it. I did some of it. Partial obedience is disobedience. God expects us to respond to him with obedience. Whatever you're responding to is what's moving you. This is why understanding the movement of our life matters. Because we have to take a step back and go, what has really been moving my life? Am I being moved by politics? Is it the clients at work? I know I'm supposed to take a day off, but I'm working seven days a week to try to keep them happy. Is it my friends that say, come on and let's do that. I know you, that you've supposedly changed your life, but, but let's go do it again. You know, maybe it's my, my kids and my kids say, well, let's do this and I want this and whatever it is. And I'll go in debt to make sure that they have the little things that they want. Maybe it's your spouse. You're so scared of losing your spouse, you won't do anything that creates any tension. What is the voice in your life that's moving you? Because there's only one voice that moves us in the right direction. Obedience to God creates the right movement in life. This is why our lives need to be lived in obedience to God. Because we can't figure it out.
But what we can do is surrender and submit to him. You remember out of Galatians 6, we, we, we read this just a few minutes ago. The one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. I want that for you. I want that for you. I want your life to be lived in obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus came so that you could have real life. He said this in John 14. I come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. This is the design of God. God's design is life at its best. But you've got to surrender, submit, and follow him to get it. The last verse in this psalm says this. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. There's going to be movement. God says, listen, I'm going to watch over you. Where you're coming, where you're going, where I'm directing you, both now and forevermore. See this. This is the final principle. God not only guides our movement, he protects us as we respond to him. He protects us. We need to know and trust that not only is God telling me to do it, but God will protect me as I do. Why is God protecting us? I'm going to make a statement that I want to spend a moment talking about. There's a risk in obedience. There's a risk in obedience. Can I just give you a simple example? Just knowing where we are as parents in our current day and age. You say, I'm going to homeschool my kids. Was there, there's a risk. Will my kids be socialized? Can I even teach them the subjects? Will I be a good disciplinarian and run a good classroom? Well, maybe I'm going to send them to public school. There's a risk with that, though. Are they going to have the wrong teacher? Going to make the wrong friends, see the wrong things? Well, maybe we'll do in between. We'll go to a Christian school. Well, maybe they might get the wrong teacher there. We might not be able to afford it forever. There's a risk everywhere. And what you've got to do is get before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? What is your call on us? What is your desire? I, don't want to, I want to pray until I no longer even have an opinion about it. God, when you have finally told me, I want to be completely obedient to what you want in our life. Why? Because when you obey, God takes on the risk. God assumes the risk. You might be thinking, but, but what if I invite them to Easter? What, what if I do? What, what if they say no? What if, what, if I, what if I give that and somebody begins to think I'm some kind of religious fanatic and starts putting me? Here's the thing. When you respond in obedience, God says, listen, I assume the risk. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch out for you. There's a story in Mark chapter 8. I want to tell this and then we'll wrap it all up. Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's healed a few people, big time healings. And people are coming after Jesus. I mean, they, they want to see him. The religious leaders are mad. And Jesus is like, we got to get out of here, guys. And the Bible says that he gets into a boat. And very clearly the text says in Matthew chapter 8 that the disciples get into the boat after him. They begin to row to the other side. They're going to seek refuge. Go for a little quiet time. But in the middle of the trip, there's a storm that happens. 
the rain starts to fall down. The winds start to blow. And on the Sea of Galilee, this is, this is a big time thing. It happens all the time. And these storms will crest four or five foot waves and, and these small boats will capsize. I mean, it, Jesus is asleep in the middle of the storm. Now look what happens. They wake him up. Jesus, why are you sleeping? And he responds, oh, you little faith. They got into the boat following him. Jesus got into the boat first. So when they were in the middle of the, the, the sea and the storms, it's Jesus like, listen, I've got this. You followed me into this. I have all the risk is on me. And he speaks to the wind and he speaks to the waves and they all calm. Why? He was showing them, if you'll follow me, I assume the risk. You might be thinking, well, why would I risk anything for God? Why would I ever hand somebody an invitation to come to church for me? I mean, why would I risk a, a relationship? Why would I risk my reputation? Why would I ever? Listen, it's simple. He risked it all for you. He risked it all. He literally put his son Jesus on the line. God gave his only son. What's it say? John 3, 16. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him, when God says move, they move. When God says adjust that, they, they adjust that. When God says we need to grow here, they start to come to God. How do I grow? When God, all of that, when whoever has faith in him will have eternal life. And never really die. Eternal life starts right now. When I die, it's just an address change. The psalm opens with these words. Lift up your eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I want you to see today. That as you begin to lift up your eyes, God is going to call you into life. He might ask you to do some stuff. You're like, I don't know that. That seems pretty scary. He's saying, listen, I'm going to watch out over you. I'm going to take care of you. I've got this. I've got this. Trust me. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.